what do you want to ask me? A couple of minutes about about your dog. What's it called? She's called Parker. Ooh, Parker. Yeah, which is an odd one, um, but it, uh, yeah, it, the kids the kids chose the name. I don't know where it came from. Okay. Uh, it seems more like a boy's name than a girl's it name. It does but, seem like a boy's name. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I think we weren't sort of fans of having dogs that have like proper human names. Yeah, I agree. I don't like it when dogs have human names. Graham, our colleague here at the IC, is one of several thousands of people in the UK to have named their new puppy over the summer. Pets for Homes, which is an animal price comparison website which can locate your dream dog or cat or horse or even a pygmy hedgehog if that's what you fancy, said that it had 20 million visitors to its site between May and June this year, which was more than double last year. Yes, coronavirus has sent the UK into a puppy frenzy. The loneliness of lockdown combined with the logistics of working from home and perhaps spending more time with children means demand for pets has skyrocketed in the last few months. But with breeders unprepared for the sudden spike in demand, puppy prices have also gone through the roof. The average selling price of a puppy born in lockdown was £1,900, almost double the price prior to the pandemic. And the initial price is only the start of the costs. Vets' bills, insurance, toys, treats, food, training and grooming make a £2,000 puppy a great deal more expensive during the course of its life. Humans treat pets better than they treat each other. And that's before the world returns to normal, meaning work and holidays suddenly add the need for kennels and dog carers. The fear that overexcited puppy purchasing could lead to abandonment as people go back to work is something that dog rescue centres and charities are very keen to raise awareness of. A dog is for life, not just for lockdown. I'm John Human. And I'm Megan Boxall, and this is Not Your Normal Finance Show. How long have you had Parker for? We have had Parker since August. So we started uh, the search for her in sort of uh, April, May time, and it actually took about two and a half months to find oh really a puppy yeah yeah demand was through the roof yeah what kind of dog is she she is a spaniel oh yeah so the most popular one as well yeah indeed um so why in april may sort of time you did you did you decide now was the time to get a dog partly lockdown madness i think um but you know it had been a a long war of attrition with my children they've been asking for a dog for about a decade um, and finally, it came to the, the the point that we were working from home for an indefinite period. It seemed like it would be convenient and we, we could actually pull it off to, to have a dog, a puppy at home for, for some time because there would be people around. Um, so, yeah, I finally cracked. Yeah. Harder to say no to your children as well and you can't send them off to school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how's she getting on? She's doing very well. Yeah, she's great, actually. She's dragged me out through the mud and the the wind and the rain yeah. this morning. Um, but, uh, yeah, she, she's actually been a welcome member, uh, addition to the household, should we say. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. has it been has it been weird having a puppy in, like, lockdown? And I suppose if you got her in August, people were allowed out in August at least. But yeah. I remember you said the other day you had to go and pick her up from, from daycare to make yes. sure she's socialising. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 been good. It's actually got us out of the house more. I yeah. now I go for a walk every morning uh, for about forty minutes around the woods and the fields, which is nice on on days unlike today. Um, so yeah, it's been yeah in the whole, it's been it's 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 been a positive experience. Mm. And how's Parker gonna cope if you 
come back to the office more regularly? That's a very good question. Um, we will have to pay for someone to look after her, I guess. Mm. So, big question. How much did Parker set you back? She didn't come cheap. Um, we, we paid um, £1,500 for her, which I thought at the time was a lot. Um, but I believe that puppies like her now will be going for between two and two and a half thousand pounds. Trendy or popular breeds, mm. you're talking four, five, six thousand pounds for yeah. a puppy. Yeah, and as you say, the cost doesn't end once you've bought the puppy either. You've <laughs> there's so much more that comes with with uh, with buying a puppy, and like uh, even insurance and stuff like that. You, you, are you going to insure her? She is insured. Yes. Well, yeah, so as you say, the cost, literally, the, the, the buying the puppy is just a start. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, insurance, food, trips to the vets. Yeah. yeah what's sport. the Spaniel's life expectancy? Uh, 12 years, hopefully. Nice. So, yeah. hopefully we'll be back in the office by then. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, cheers, Graham. And hopefully we'll be able to meet Parker at some point. One place that Graham might be taking his dog once lockdown lifts and we can all go back to normal is a dog show. Yeah, hi, I'm Matthew Upson. I'm one of the directors of All About Dogs, which is one of the UK's largest fun dog show event organisers. All About Dogs runs dog shows all around the country. And before the pandemic hit and events went into lockdown, it had been seeing a huge increase in demand. Coronavirus isn't the only thing that has caused a big increase in dog sales in the last few years. They have been rising anyway. And as a result, Matthew's shows have been doing roaring business. He's spoken to John about the trends. We've been event organisers for around 25 years. And we've done lots and lots of different sort of events from antique fairs to garden shows. And what we noticed is a growing trend of people sort of phoning us up saying, like, can we bring your dogs, our dogs to the shows? You know, and a lot of events out there were saying, no dogs allowed. You know, you can't bring your dog in. And we get so many phone calls and we're just thinking, this is amazing. Everyone wants to bring, take their dog out. So, of course, that's where really it started. We had a dog, a boxer dog. And, um, you know, we're sort of animal lovers, always have been. So we, we said, let's start create our own events, which really are for the dogs, not for the the. I say the parents, the, you know, the adults actually thought, what would a dog like if it came for a day out? And they were born, basically. We'd done our first show about 10 years ago at the Norfolk Showgrounds um, called the All About Dog Show. And it was an instant success. And, and I remember standing there and we probably had about 10,000 people come. And I stood, it was a, by luck, it was a beautiful day. And I just stood and looked at the people and everyone was having such a lovely time. So, so once you saw that this, uh, you know, there was such demand, do, do you think the market has actually continued to grow since you, start, since you started your first show? There seems to have been a massive trend towards dog ownership, even more than there ever was. Yes. I mean, when 10 years ago we'd done that Norfolk Showground show, about 10,000 people come and, and every year, year on year, they got busier and busier. Obviously, as they get more established, people know they're on. But there is definitely a general trend but there is one area of the industry which Matthew and his team tend to steer clear of. Do, do, you, uh, do, you, do you actually people buy and sell dogs at your shows or, or is that something that you, you kind of would prefer not to be going on there? We do not do that at all. That is something that we would never get into. It's, um, you know, that's, for us, like, it's a fun dog show. We, we can just see problems if we start doing that, you know, and it's something that we'll leave to the experts and the breeders. So, no. We don't. We've we've had lots of brilliant fans say, "Can we have a, a stand that we shall promote our?" We we thought about it about three four years ago. Oh yeah, dog. and we done a show and um, it was an, a, one, had one stand. It was a, and you get 
that you, I didn't really, because we've always been the fun side of it, how serious it gets. And someone comes, you shouldn't have them at their shows, they're puppies, and blah, 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 blah. So, are they? You know? So, right, we would not get involved in this ever again. It was just tattle that we didn't want, you know? It's almost, I would say that we do like Disneyland for dogs, you know? And we just want people to come to us and smile, have a nice day out, and go home, and, you know, no more than that. We're not trying to change the world. We just want people to have a nice day out. And that's, so that's what we keep to. Good morning, everybody. Here is Tara and all her 11 puppies on 21st of May. Feeding really nicely. There we go. Look at them all lined up at the milk bar. That is a Kennel Club registered breeder who bred a litter of flat-coated retriever puppies. They were born in the middle of lockdown. Uh, I had a little look on Pets for Homes um, to see what flat-coated retrievers were going for. They're around the £2,500 mark, but, but there's not very many of those. Available, not not a very popular breed, the flat coated retriever. No, everyone's buying cockapoos. Okay. Yeah. Cockapoos or cocker spaniels. Yeah, cocker spaniels. Cocker spaniels. Cavapoos as well. This is something that I'd never heard of until the last few months. What the hell is one of those? That is a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and a poodle. Very right. similar to a cockapoo. Yeah, I, I mean, these are, these are going for stupid money, these dogs. Mm, absolutely my, crazy. My brother actually has a cockapoo. I think he got it, he got it at the bargain price of about. 800 quid. Wow, that really is a bargain price. There Now it's north of 2,000, at the best. At best. Yeah. I mean, this was 18 months ago. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked. Prices have gone through the roof. Yeah. Through yeah. the roof. Well, um, you, yeah, the, the Pets, Pets for Homes website. I mean, there are so many of them as well on, on the Pets for Homes website, but there weren't during lockdown. People were sort of buying them off the side of the road. Well, to an extent, they were. It was a breeder, and the person I know who did that has got a lovely dog. But it, they didn't go and meet it. They didn't go and see the parents. Obviously, the dog's parents before they went and bought it. The demand was so high. It was like, if I see one come up for sale, I need it right now. Yeah, and and, and actually, I think uh, I know the price of that dog, and they've got more expensive since. Um, you yeah, know, it's just gone ballistic. This market. Um, if I remember rightly, you told me that purchase was in cash as well. It was, yeah. And, and you know, and for me, that says something about the whole you know dog breeding market, which is, I think, is a great concern. Which is that it's not very well regulated. Um, you know, there are lots of breeders out there who are not very scrupulous. Um, not, you know, not obviously the, the sort of kennel club types, um, but but lots, you know, breeding dogs is. It's big business now, and you can make quick money out of it. It's, Absolutely. Uh, it's, 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 it's a bit of a wild west. Yeah, gosh. So this one, actually, this is the most spe- expensive cockapoo on the Pets for Homes site. It's only six months old. It's being rehomed, and it's going for £4,500. That sounds like a lockdown purchase, which went a bit wrong. Yeah, um, I mean, you've got to worry about this, you know, that... But actually, the rush for dogs at lockdown is pretty, is pretty similar to the rush for dogs at Christmas, mm. and, you know... It's okay now when people are at home and, um, you know, they've got lots of time on their hands to, to, to spend time with their dog, to, to, to keep it company, that when, when things get back to normal, which I think they will, mm. then, you know, lots of people are going to find themselves with, with a pet that they don't really know what to do with during the day. Yeah, and that's something you're going to speak to the dog's trust about later. I am indeed. But, yeah, for the breeders, I mean, it's been, it's been brilliant. They uh, can pretty much charge what they want. But then does that mean that the breeders are now sort of rushing to breed again because obviously the dogs that were bought during lockdown were not bred during lockdown the sort of breeding was carrying on as normal in january february and then all of a sudden april may 
everyone was buying all the dogs which uh, which were being born in that in the in springtime and so will there be extra breeding going on next year or 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 even now it's it's a crazy crazy time to be a dog breeder it, it is i actually had a conversation when i was on holiday um uh, a couple of women we were having in front of me in the south world chip shop and she had ordered a dog while the dog was still essentially in its uh, in its mother's uh, womb um and by the time the dog was born the price had changed really <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and she then said i don't want it well, but then yeah. she's in the position where you can't actually get that dog for cheaper anywhere else so. no you know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know it's, a, it's a boom market. It's a, it's a puppy bubble. Mm, yeah. And the cost of a puppy doesn't end once it comes home. Alex Janio has spoken to Dr Saul Levy, who is a veterinary surgeon at Medivet. So Medivet is um, basically a corporate vet, veterinary practice that owns, sort of buy, acquires and then sort of manages uh, vet practices around the UK, which I think there's about 300 branches now in total, but they're sort of largely largely London-based, but they've got a few more scattered around the country. Yeah, and they, they offer sort of both first opinion and sort of larger practices for it as well. The combining of veterinary practices into large corporations is a trend that's been growing in the UK in the last few years. CVS Group, which is listed, has been buying private veterinary surgeries like crazy. And lots of vets are being put up for sale because of the financial challenges of running a private vet's practice and the fact that many veterinary surgeons struggling with debt after seven years of expensive university want the stability of a corporate job rather than running their own practice. Why don't you take us back to the start of the coronavirus pandemic? What measures did you have to take at the clinic? Yeah, so it was, um, we made some quite big changes relatively early on. So we uh, obviously had a lot of uh, PPE already on hand, which was quite handy. So like face masks, uh, hand sanitising equipment, uh, gloves, uh, and things like that to where when we were interacting with the general public, we stopped allowing any of the general public into the actual building. So we've been uh, uh, receiving basically everyone's pets outside and bringing them in indoors then to do any sort of, you know, checkups and any sort of surgeries, obviously, without the owners being present. Um, that way we sort of limit massively the amount of time we spend in direct sort of face-to-face contacts with the general public. Uh, we're doing a lot more also over the phone and via video chat. So, uh, you know, phone consults for minor uh, minor consults or, you know, less emergency things. We were seeing uh, people just over Zoom or uh, on the phone to try to do some more social distancing. Um, my hospital as well, also we split our entire staff in half and had a... Uh, and then did, basically each half of the team worked independently of another. So we did three days on and three days off with you know, Team A and Team B so that we reduced the amount of staff that we were in contact with each day because our full sort of staff numbers is about 40, about 40 people thereabouts. Um, so just to try and reduce the amount of households that were interacting uh, on a daily basis, we cut down to half and half staff, which was difficult. Because uh, there was still the same sort of workload, um, but uh, we just had a bit of a, you know, we just sort of got on with it, really. And what impact did the pandemic and these measures that you've laid out, you know, what impact did that have on the business? Yeah, so it was it was quite hard going, especially at, at the start, because it's a very different way of practicing than we're used to. Um, and also, you know, like I said, with reduced staff, we had. Um, 
a lot of work on our hands. Uh, we also were very, very busy because during the lockdown, a lot, a lot, a lot of people got new puppies and kittens. I think it's probably because people were at home or they had more spare time or if people's jobs are allowing them to work from home now, they suddenly have the time to maybe own a dog when they didn't previously. So we were seeing a huge influx of new puppies and kittens, uh, which obviously needed vaccinating and, and checking over. Um, and sort of in combination with that, a lot of practices local to us, uh, non-medivet practices, um, were on either reduced hours or actually closed for portions of the pandemic, which meant that uh, we were also seeing their clients and I suppose clients that would have otherwise gone to them but they were closed again to us instead so actually it was a bit of a it was a bit of a manic period for us work-wise we had a lot on uh, day to day. Things have loosened up and, and how have customer patterns changed you know what impact has that had financially I understand the industry has been very busy. Yeah so we've thankfully done quite well over the last six months and we've actually seen our turnover increasing rather than decreasing uh, steadily over the last six, six months just because you know we've been able to offer a very good standard of practice having still had the staff numbers on board we can end up having to furlough anyone really from my practice which meant we kept all of our employees to manage the, the workload and actually it's worked out quite well for us because we were open the entire the entire pandemic we were able to capitalize on all these new puppies and kittens and clients who were you know who needed who needed seen but their, their usual practice maybe wasn't able to accommodate them so we've, we've done we've done quite well out of everything really and what are you doing if anything in response to tightening restrictions we've ordered further ppe because we uh to comply with sort of the new track and trace measures you need if you can't social distance from your colleagues which you can't really at a vet practice uh, you need increased PPE, so you need face masks and shields and gowns and gloves all day for all members of staff. So we're sort of getting further PPE so that we can try to comply with those measures, as well as we're still not letting uh, the general public into the building because we're well, we're just worried about you know it's a, it's a very difficult environment to socially distance from anyone from. So we're trying to keep that at bay as long as we can. And aside from that, I suppose it's we're with the uh, with the case numbers rising again, we're certainly might have to again split split the team up into half again. But we're trying to avoid it unless it's completely necessary. Uh, but we tend to think there's like a a governing body for vets called the BVA or the British Veterinary Association that sort of uh, gives out gives guidelines for vet practices. So we're sort of taking their lead. Um, as to what we might need to do, as a lot of vet practices are. And finally, how is the market evolving? What are the main areas of growth in, in the veterinary business for, for a company like Medivet uh, in the coming years? Yeah, so I think um, clients are becoming more and more, uh, are seeking out more and more sort of a very high standard of clinical practice. They're more you know, sophisticated um, more sophisticated technology, uh, high, more highly qualified vets with sort of extra, um, extra certificates and higher learning, like postgraduate level. Um, and so, what we're trying to do is sort of keep ahead of that. We've, you know, investing in new equipment and sort of trying to support people to do further learning on the job to try to keep ahead of it. It's becoming more and more 
you know, more and more specialised. People want to see the very, you know, the very best vets in their field. So it's trying to keep ahead of that. I think one of the big levels, one of the big growth. And we've already seen a little bit, especially around London, there's more and more referral centres with specialists in around London because people really want to see now um, a bit of a higher calibre of vets rather than just their local their local vets so you can do a little bit of everything. Dr Levy, thank you for your time. All right, no worries. Okay, so it sounds like the lockdown puppy boom has been uh, very good news for the the veterinary industry. And as it happens, there are uh, a couple of uh, listed veterinary groups. Uh, We've got Pets at Home, which is actually a little bit more than that. It's a pet shop as well. But then there's CVS, who had numbers out only a couple of weeks ago, as did Pets at Home, in fact. How how are they getting on? Are they they experiencing uh, a good lockdown too? Well, Pets at Home, yes, and we're going to hear from Phil Oakley in a bit because he has stuff to say about that. CVS, less so. Um... Far less optimistic than Medivet seems to be about the demand for veterinary services. In the year to June, revenue growth was pretty much flat at CVS. And that is coming from, so in the eight months prior to the pandemic, revenue was up 8%, and then it just completely flattened during lockdown. And that seems to be because they had to close a load of their veterinary practices. CVS has been consolidation central for the last five years. Um, to the extent where potentially they went a bit overboard. The chief executive left about a year ago, the chief executive who had pioneered this acquisition strategy. And this, the fact that it has acquired so many veterinary practices seems to have been a bit of an issue for it during lockdown. They had to close a lot of their practices. They had to furlough staff. And they actually haven't reopened 33 of their sites. I mean, they've got over 400. So it's a fraction of the number of sites in total but it's still it's a bit odd considering and they do acknowledge there is a massive tailwind in the market um but they're just not seemingly able to capitalize on it as well as other veterinary practices smaller veterinary practices have been able to why do you think that is what's what's the uh i mean their profits were down uh at the last report what's going on there why why you know given we've seen this boom why can't they capitalize on it i think cvs got a bit carried away with its acquisitions and the reason it was able to was because the veterinary market is very strange in the UK. It kind of comes down to education, like how you become a vet. It takes a long time, it's very competitive, and it's very, very expensive, obviously, because university is now so expensive. So people are leaving university and going into veterinary practices, and they don't want to or they can't afford to take on a veterinary practice themselves. So uh, in the past, veterinary practices have been, have been run privately. So there's huge demand for private owners selling up their surgeries because they can't find the staff to come on board and and take over the ownership so they sell to a company like cvs and then they retire but because there isn't the volume of new vets coming through cvs has really struggled to find the right number of vets to fill its surgeries that it's been buying and it acknowledges this this was this led to some pretty severe um, profit warnings over the last few years. But they said they literally don't have enough vets. And it's a problem across the whole industry. But when CVS is the biggest consolidator, and it's now one of the biggest veterinary practices in the UK, it's it, the problem hits it harder than it hits anyone else. And this sounds like it could be a worry. I mean, obviously, it's hurting profitability today. Um, but it could get worse. I mean, if, if there aren't enough vets out there, surely those vets could name their price. And if vets become more expensive uh, to pay, then surely the cost of veterinary uh, procedures will increase. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's, yeah, sounds, sounds about right. They, CVS says that the trend is improving. So the um, 
vacancy in the veterinary industry has actually gone gone down in the last few years and they're actually they're doing a lot of work with universities and and all sorts to 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 get make the veterinary industry seem more attractive because i mean it's just not at the moment i mean when i was at school everyone wanted to be a vet and no one could be a vet because it was so competitive and i think people have just given up it's not worth applying when there are so few universities that do it it's so difficult and also as Saul said from medi from medivet there the demand for really really high caliber vets is increasing so you don't just get your degree that's not enough you have to do all this specialization and extra treatment and extra procedures and you have to know about specific animals and then you can't do so much general practice it's just so competitive and so difficult but it was always one of the longest degree courses if i remember rightly so that sounds like that you know those extra specialisms would make it even longer yeah i can see why people were given what it costs to go to university may not want to bear that cost i've got a friend who's sister is she's one of the most qualified vets in the uk but she's been at university for about 15 years just constantly doing extra little areas of specialism and now yeah she can literally charge what she wants because she's a super duper vet but i mean it's crazy and exactly who's who's paying for it who at what stage do you say you know you know what perhaps i can't afford to give my dog that operation from this super duper vet because it's just so expensive Mm, mm. And, you know, I think uh, given, given the, the boom, given the economic times, the difficult econo- economic times that seem like they're ahead, you know, there is a worry that this will all add up to something pretty nasty as we go down the road. Mm, yeah, absolutely. The thing with CVS as well that it is worth mentioning, it's not just veterinary. It's not doesn't just make its money from... Uh, from vets bills it has its own insurance product it sells its own medicines and it's that part of the company which is doing better and it's that part as well that has benefited pets at home people are currently willing to spend more on these potentially more discretionary things Um, but yeah it's the non-discretionary spending it's the whether or not I'm going to pay to keep my dog alive that may under tougher economic conditions be a bit more of an issue Mm. but well yeah we'll come on to that but for now we'll hear from phil who uh in a recent alpha podcast had a bit to say about pets at home let's talk about small fluffy animals because they always cheer everyone up pets at home had a little trading update and it was as you would expect given that everyone is buying puppies really pretty good yeah i mean we, we talked about this a few weeks ago didn't we as a, as a sort of possible private equity success story Mm. uh, eventually eventually but clearly you know pets are um pets are actually a very interesting investment theme in general because humans treat pets better than they treat each other so (laughs) so um trying to invest in something that helps do that is can be quite a good way to invest your money and you know Pets at home have done a pretty good job, you know, their strategy. It's not just, you know, it's not just, you know, these big stores on retail parks where you walk out with a bag of dog food under your arm. You know, they have vet surgeries, grooming parlours, that kind of thing. And they've done really well with it. And um, It's taken them a while to get it right, though. I mean, it has taken it a while. Has. They did have a few missteps after they came to market few little twists and turns, getting, getting refining yeah. that strategy, but, but now it looks in pretty good shape. Yeah, this is a recent event. You know, it's taken a while to find, to find this strategy um, that, that works. 
and it, and it's working working pretty well now. I mean, it has had uh, a COVID tailwind. So, as I mean, I, I, I joked about people rushing out as lockdown hit to buy pets, but they did. The, the numbers support that. You know, dog sales and dog prices went through the roof. And, you know, once you've invested in a dog, in a cockapoo or whatever it might be, um, you've got to keep paying for it. So there is a sort of, there does, there does seem to be some kind of resilience to, to the revenue streams of a company like Pets at Home. You can't stop feeding it. You can't stop taking it to the vet, giving it its injections or whatever it might be. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's pretty much, you know, non-discretionary. It's, it's very, these businesses are actually very defensive. And, you know, we've seen, you know, over the last decade, investors like reliable, dependable understandable businesses and this ticks a lot of boxes yeah and presumably there's a bit of potential growth in there as well you know if the pet market continues to grow then then as well as that that sort of as you say non-discretionary dependable revenue stream you've also got potentially a bigger market to serve as more people rush out and buy dogs as we go into second lockdown yeah hopefully uh, people have still got the money to buy the dog food yeah, let's hope so. That point is something that charities and rescue centres are very worried about. The Dogs Trust website, for example, is full of stories about dogs which have been found abandoned in the last few months. Here's Claire Wilson-Leary, the Senior Public Affairs Officer at the Dogs Trust, the UK's largest dog rehoming and welfare charity. We, we are a, um, a nation of dog lovers, absolutely, um, but certainly in recent months we've seen a huge increase in the demand for dogs. Um, across the board, so interest through our rehoming centres, um, but also people buying a puppy. Um, figures from PropellerNet found that um, Google searches for the term buy a puppy um, increased by 166% between the beginning of lockdown um, and the week commencing 12th of July. So we can see there's a huge increase um, in people looking to buy a puppy via online adverts. Um, we expect that that's because lots of people have more time at home now. Um, obviously, with the lockdown measures, people aren't going into work. And it can be, in these times, I think it can be really tempting to think about getting a dog or a puppy whilst you've got more time on your hands. We know that, you know, dog ownership is a wonderful thing, but it's also a huge responsibility. So we're continuing to remind people about our slogan. So normally we'd say a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. In, in this situation, we're saying a dog is for life, not just for lockdown. Yeah, but lots of people have, have obviously gone out and bought dogs. Do you, do you, do you worry that this is, is kind of a whim purchase, that people haven't really uh, thought through the implications of owning a dog, the expense of owning a dog? Um, and what happens if the working from home trend, actually, you know, things go back to normal and people find themselves having to go back to, go back to the office? Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, we're releasing results of um, our Choosing My Dog study this week. Um, so we've surveyed people who've bought a puppy in the past seven years, and actually we found that more than a third of puppy owners don't do any research before buying their dog. Um, a quarter said they only saw their puppy on the day that they took them home. And, you know, we're always saying it's really important to see the puppy more than once with its mum, with its siblings. So it's, it's really concerning that you know, people perhaps aren't doing as not enough research. Um, and then certainly, you know, we have to look ahead into the future. I think the full impact of the pandemic is, is yet to be known in terms of dog welfare. But there is a concern that as people start going back to work, they may not have as much time to look after their dogs. Um, based on sort of stray dog survey figures um, and also relinquishment figures from after the 2008 financial crisis, we're looking at potentially up to 40,000 more dogs 
at risk of abandonment as a direct result of the pandemic. Um, we also recently did a study looking at how dog behaviour has changed during lockdown. Obviously, people have spent a lot more time at home with their dogs. So we wanted to look into that a bit more. Um, and we actually find that new behaviours are becoming a, a problem. So dogs getting used to their owners being at home and then when they're not there, they're getting um, sort of separation anxiety. So the concern there is that as people start to, start to go back to work, these behaviour problems could become um, more of an issue and compound the issue even further and, and people could find that they're not man- um, not struggling to cope with their dogs. Yeah, but well, something else that I've heard is that because people have, have, are essentially at home with their dogs, um, the, do- the dogs themselves haven't been taken out to socialise with other dogs and this can cause problems too. Do you, th- do you think that, that and other aspects of dog training have, have perhaps been, been neglected in this? Because, you know, getting out to, to a dog training session perhaps is a bit more difficult, has been a bit more difficult than, than under normal circumstances? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first few weeks of a puppy's life are so important and that's when they should be meeting, you know, lots of different people and other dogs and all sorts of people, children um, as well, to, you know, really get them ready for life as an adult dog. So, you know, it is concerning, you know, we don't know the full impact just yet, but that's why we're really asking people to consider whether it's the right time for them to get a dog and to really do their research. No, and I guess there's also the concern as well about whether, you know, some unscrupulous sellers might be taking advantage of the demand for puppies. Um, We've done a lot of work looking at the puppy smuggling trade over the years. Um, So that's all about puppies being bred in really horrific conditions in Central and Eastern Europe, um, transported thousands of miles with no food, uh, very little water, no exercise, no toilet breaks. Um, They're then um, imported into the UK via the pet travel scheme, which is meant to be used for people going on holiday with their pets. Um, but they're imported underage with false documentation or even um, smuggled in a physical sense, you know, hidden in vehicles. And quite often these puppies will end up uh, for sale online um, via online adverts to unsuspecting buyers. And I think, you know, many people don't realise that this trade is going on. So it's really important you know, we raise awareness of it because I think most people wouldn't want their puppy to go through that um, when when they're looking to buy one. Yeah, I've heard some stories about people picking up puppies from the side of uh, major roads, having found an ad in uh, in a local newspaper. You know, it, it, it seems to me, and I've heard stories too, that you know the, the dog breeding business can, can in places be be quite unscrupulous. Is is there any way people can get you know find reassurance? Are there are there any kind of is there any kind of verification scheme or, or legislation uh, and regulation that, that can give people comfort when they're buying a dog? Well I think as you as you say, people meeting on the you know the side of roads, I think particularly in the in the pandemic, um, these sellers are very good at you know taking advantage. So I think we've we've had cases where they've said, oh you know we can't you can't come and visit the puppy in our home because of the restrictions and things like that. So we know we're continuing to issue our advice about not not getting dogfished. And everyone's heard of the term catfished. When we say dogfish, we mean when people are lured into buying a puppy that's not what they expected. The, the most important thing is people that that people follow this advice um, to ensure that they don't get dogfished. And that's you know going to see the puppy with in the place that it was bred with its mum. Uh, with its siblings, going and visiting it more than once, asking for all the right paperwork and asking lots of questions. 
Mm. But, but, you know, as we've seen this year, the, the prices of, of certainly some breeds, you know, um, things like cockapoos and cavapoos and, 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 and spaniels have, have been going through the roof. I mean, it's, it's the perfect environment for this sort of thing to happen. Um, do, do you think these prices are, are kind of artificially inflated or, 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 or can, we, can we expect a return to some kind of normality here? I think um, some sellers will certainly be taking advantage of the high demand. So we did some, we looked at five of the most um, popular breeds across the country, and these are actually five of the most breeds, five of the breeds that are most commonly smuggled into the country as well. Um, so they, these prices shot up between March and June. The most expensive was the English Bulldog, for example. Um, it, on average, in June, it was going for more than £2,000, when in March, it'd been going for um, around 1600 But some listings were as high as 9,000. Um, so that, yeah, really taking advantage of this demand. And I think it's important to say as well that the price, the price of a puppy doesn't reflect how well it's been bred. You know, these breeds, as I mentioned, that we've been looking at are the most commonly illegally imported breeds, um, who've been through really, um, rough starts in life. So I think it's just really important to remember that price, you know, doesn't reflect the, the sort of conditions that the puppy, which the puppies have been bred. Are you seeing similar demand for rescue dogs? I mean, you know, rather I would I would love to to, to get a rescue dog, uh, rather rather than see see it destroyed. Um, but but is that what people want right now? And, and and if they do want that, you know, how do they go about coming to you and and, and actually adopting a dog? Yeah, so we are very fortunate um, that we do um, get a lot of interest in our rescue dogs. We have seen an increase overall across our centres. Um, just as an example, um, in March we had around a thousand inquiries for just a litter of um, dachshunds. Yeah, in, in March or April. I mean, this has steadied, but we we continue to see an increase um, in interest. Um, but you know, if people are interested in rehoming um, a dog, we'd always encourage rehoming before buying. Um, if you are interested, we'd encourage people to uh, take a look at our website. Our dogs are listed on there. Um, get in touch. We are carrying out. Um, um, we are, we're appointment based only at the moment. Um, you know, we're do, doing virtual matching of dogs with with people that are interested where that's possible. And you know, some some dogs do require um, multiple visits before they're handed over. But um, yeah, we're certainly continuing to, to do as much as possible for the dogs in our care. The Dogs Trust website certainly is very tempting. Thanks to Claire and to all our other guests today. And not wishing to exclude cat lovers from the pets discussion, here's Phil Oakley with a final word of wisdom. So, you know, I can put my cat on a chair for 10 or 12 hours a day. He'll sit in the office quite happily and he'll do as much work as a lot of people in offices have been getting away with for years. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.